to the Pitch Towards Holiness podcast. I'm Mike Kidwell. And I'm Michael Kidwell. And we're so glad that you've joined us today. Today we're going to be talking about seeing the ball out of a pitcher's hand, okay? So the our podcast today is going to be titled, Keep Your Eye on the Ball. Yeah. You know, I, I know that you know, Michael, from batting, um, when you played baseball, that if you can recognize the pitch out of a pitcher's hand, um, you have a lot lot better opportunity for success. Right, right. And, I mean, even when it came to coaching, one of the things you tell your players a lot is you have to keep your eye on the ball. Yeah. Because you want to be able to track the ball coming out of the pitcher's hand all the way until it meets the bat. Yeah. And and that's not an easy thing to do. You no, know? no, it's not there, at all. There's so many things in um, a little league field or a major league baseball field that can distract you. Um, mm-hmm. There's players out there on the field that can distract you. There's the fans that can distract you, especially at a major league baseball field. You know, there's tons of fans there all the way around the stadium. And so, you know, with posters and, and different things, they can really distract you to keep your eyes focused somewhere else than on the ball that's coming at you. Right. And when you get your eye off the ball, you're going to swing and miss. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to hit the ball when when you can't see it. Right, right, right. And, I mean, as a batter, it, it's, um, like you said, there's multiple distractions, whether it's, um, speaking of the major leagues, you've got stuff in center field that has um, got lights on it, whether it's um, advertisements yeah. or fans wearing, like, shiny jewelry that's got lights reflecting off of it, or you've got, well, I mean, even more screaming fans that are trying to get your attention and take your focus off the ball. Yeah, um, and, and you'll see a lot of Major League Baseball fields that put um, what they call a batter's eye in center field, and that's like a plain background that is back there in center field that the the batters can focus on so they can see the the pitch come out of the pitcher's hand better. Sometimes it's just the grassy area, but they very rarely um, leave that open for fans in in center field, direct center field where it's in the batter's eye, so they're able to keep their eye on the ball. So everybody's kind of working in concert and in unity to to be able to provide the opportunity for the batter to be able to see the ball better um, mm-hmm. so they can hit it because if you can't see it, you definitely can't hit it. So right. um, the other thing that you have to do, you know, it, there's there's a bunch of things as a batter that you have to do simultaneously within just split seconds to be able to be successful. That's why a good batting average is is only 30% of the time, you know, hitting yeah. the ball. You know, a good batting average is um, 300 or more, and that's basically saying that 30% of the time you can hit the ball and get on base. Yeah, so, and I mean, the the average in MLB is like 250. So, I mean, if you're hitting the ball every two out of ten times, you're almost a Hall of Famer yeah. in the MLB, yeah. which which is crazy because if you look at it that way, you're thinking they're only hitting the ball two times Th- three, out of the three, t- three. well three three two to three times out of every ten at bats. Yeah. You would think that sucks. Yeah, but yet that's almost 
a Hall of Famer right there. That's I don't know any other profession where you can be successful 30% of the time and get glorified for it. Right, but like baseball. Like in basketball, if you're making two out of ten shots, you're, you're riding the bench. Yeah, you're horrible. They, they, want, they want their, you know, their uh, shooters to be shooting 50% or higher. Right. You know? um, but baseball is, is a different sport because the success rate is so low um, because it is a hard sport. You know, right. the, the, these pitches are coming out of the hands and they're getting to the plate at half a you blink know, of the eye. 90 miles to 100 miles an hour. And that gets on the batter like this. And so they have to read and react very, very quickly. They have to read the ball out of the hands and react to where they think the ball is going to be. And the movement that these pitchers have on the ball is just crazy these days. Yeah. The sliders will, will look like they're going to hit you and they'll break over the outside corner of the plate. Curve balls will look like they're going to be super, super high and they end up being right over the plate. You know, the, it's just amazing the spin that pitchers are able to put on a ball. And for those of you who don't understand, spin that pitchers put on a ball will give you the movement. So the higher the spin rate of a pitch, the more movement it's going to have, whether it be up or down or side to side. Um, spin rate is the big thing in, in baseball all yeah. the time because that's where, where it gets you um, moving your pitches and really gets the batters guessing and gets them on their heels. A lot of times you'll hear somebody say the batter's on their heels. That means that they're, they're doing a bad job of guessing where the pitch is going to be. Because mm -hmm. if, if you're going to be driving the ball, you have to really locate it out of the pitcher's hand and then you have to not just react to the ball, but you have to react to where you think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Not just the speed of it, but where you think it's going to be. So there's a lot of things that go into batting. Yeah, and when you're coaching a lot, you, you tell your, um, your um, players to stop pulling their head. Yeah. You, you hear that a lot if you're around a Little League ball, um, little league ball field, and you'll hear um, coaches tell their players that you need to stop pulling your head which basically means when you're going to swing, you're looking the complete opposite direction that the ball is coming. And if you're looking the opposite way, you're never going to hit that ball because yeah. you're never going to see it. And a lot of times that happens because they're, for one, they're not seeing the ball. And then for two, they're um, trying to swing out of their shoes and, and trying to hit the ball a long way. Mm -hmm. So whenever, you know, first you have, to, you have to recognize the pitch out of the hand. And then right. the second thing you have to do is you, you kind of have to re renounce in your batting process what you did last that was wrong. So, in other words, if, if you swung and you turned your head when you swung, you got to tell yourself in, in your head, okay, that's, that's what I did wrong. Now I need to, to move forward and do something else differently or I'm not going to be successful. Right. So that's kind of, you know, you recognize the pitch and then you renounce the things that you did in the past that were wrong and now you're trying to move forward in um in your batting and and then a lot of times what batters will do is they'll get in their own head mm -hmm. um i know you, you know this from us both coaching little league is a, a batter will will swing and miss at a pitch and then he'll get so down on himself that he won't swing at the next pitch or he'll swing at a bad pitch because he's so frustrated but you you really have to allow yourself to to, to accept some repentance on what you did wrong because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if you don't then you'll just continually do bad because 
you're so down on yourself. Right. But a lot of what baseball is is mental. Yeah, and I know that from personal experience. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll hit a foul ball that I thought was going to be a home run, and then I'm like, God, I missed that pitch. That right there was my <laughs> pitch. And I was either a little early or a little late, or I swung over it or I swung under it. And then the next pitch won't be the same pitch, obviously. And I'll just swing out of my shoes and I'll miss it. And then I'll throw my bat, I'll throw my helmet, and I'll be mad at myself. And I always remember you saying, "What? What's? Well, why are you swinging and missing? Because you're mad. It's all mental. And yeah. you, you would have to pull me to the side in the dugout and yep. tell me to calm down, yep. get my gear on, and go back out there. Yep, yep. And so you, you kind of have to forgive yourself for, for some things that you do wrong because if you just let it fester and you let it build, you'll just continually make mistakes. Right. And so you recognize the ball out of a pitcher's hand. I know this sounds like a lot. And if you're, if you're aspiring to be a baseball player, if you're in the Little League, or if if you even play softball, it just sounds like it's uh, cumbersome. But the more you do it, um, all these things start slowing down and they start working in order and you don't really have to think about them. Mm -hmm. So, But once you recognize the pitch and then you, you kind of, you know, you said, okay, what I did first didn't work. Let me do something differently. And then you, you kind of forgive yourself for mistakes. Then you have to restructure all that and put something else together. Because what you did previously when you swung and missed didn't work. Right. What you did previously when you hit the ball foul, it didn't work. So now that you're restructuring some things and you're changing some things, you're moving forward and you're going to be more successful as a batter. And then once you restructure things and you are more successful, what do you want to do? Now you, you got to perform. Well, yeah, but once you're successful, you want to review that and you want to continue to do yeah, the things that made it. you successful. You yes. It. You want to, you kind of want to review and say, look, this is what I, what made me successful. This is what I did. This is the process that I took to be able to see the ball, hit the ball and put it in play. Mm -hmm. And now let me repeat that over and over and over again. And that all sounds real simple. Um, or it may sound complicated to you, but in, in actuality, it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of work to get that, um, down and, and really this is a great parallel um, with our spiritual lives, Michael. Right. Because whenever we're walking for Christ, the, the devil loves to throw some pitches to us that, that have high spin rate. You know, he loves mm -hmm. to throw some sins that, that really get us off our game. Um, he loves to send us temptations, some invitations to sin, um, and, and, and try to trip us up and, and get us to swing and miss. But here's the thing. If, if we can kind of take the batter's perspective and we can apply that to our spiritual life, I think it can help us along, uh, along the way of being successful with growing closer to Jesus every day and really letting sanctification work. That's the, the process of Jesus cleaning you up every day. I think we can let all that happen and we can draw closer to Jesus if we can take this example and apply it to our spiritual life. And so we're, we're going to look at that. And if you turn to Deuteronomy 5, um, like I have, I'm going to read um, just a little bit out of 5. I'm going to read seven scriptures. And this is Moses, and what he's doing is he's recalling the commands that, that God had given the Israelites, the Ten Commandments. And mm -hmm. this is really, these rules weren't meant to be cumbersome. 
These rules were, were meant to be a baseline of things that you obey, not because you have to, but because you have a relationship with God. And out of that relationship, then the fruits of obedience start popping up. And so let, let, me, let me read this to you. It said, And Moses called all of Israel, and he said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn from them, and you may keep doing them. Verse 2, The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us. That, that applies to us today, who are all of us here alive this day. Verse 4, the Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at the time to show you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid by reason of the fire and went up to the mount saying, and went up to the mount. And then the Lord said, I am the Lord thy God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And anytime you hear Egypt in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that is a picture of, you know, the Israelites were in Egypt in bondage, in slavery to the Egyptians. And that is always a picture of our life in bondage to sin. And you got to understand that the precious blood of the lamb, the Passover, the blood that they put on the doorpost, that that helped us pass over through that bondage to sin and into freedom in Christ through our relationship with Jesus. And then you, you see them going through the Red Sea, and that's a picture of baptism. And you going to the land of promise um, is, is a picture of what God wants to do with you after you've cleans your, your, your heart up, and you, you've surrendered your life to God. But here's the problem. You can do one of two things. You can go to the land of promise, Michael, and you can be fruitful for the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. or you can spin around in the wilderness for 40 years. Right. And that, what happens is, this, to us, is the same thing that happened to the Israelites. The Israelites, it just took them a few days to get out of Egypt. But it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of them. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens with our life here on this, on this earth is we can, in the instant, we can become saved and we can confess the name of Jesus and we can have a relationship with him. But man, sometimes it takes a long time for God to clean all the things up that were in our life that we keep looking back to. Right, right. You know, Michael, I don't know about you, but the devil loves to remind us of the, the life that we had before Christ. Mm-hmm. And he likes to remind us of the sins that we tended to commit before we had a life in Christ. And sometimes those reminders and those temptations draw us back into a place of bondage. Yeah. And I, um, to share a quick story, um, my wife, before we met, struggled with addiction. And, um, while we were dating, I had brought, I would bring her to church with me and she, she was convicted of that addiction while we were dating. And she, she came to me and she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. This has no hold over me anymore. And she gave her life to Christ. And then we got married and a few weeks ago, 
she was um, taking notes one Sunday, and she was turning back, and it was the same journal that she used to keep as, like, a diary. Mm -hmm. And she was reading over one of the days, and she was reading that she got um, re-caught back up in that addiction. And she was like, she um, showed it to me, and she was like, this was after I had told you that I wasn't going to be trapped in this anymore. Yeah. And she's like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I don't want to see this anymore. I don't want to be trapped in this anymore. I want to be done. And she heard pastor's call for baptism. And she was like, at first, I didn't know what it meant. And so she had talked to you. Uh -huh. She had talked to me. And she's like, it's me pronouncing that I'm done with my old life. When I get dunked in that water and I come back up, yeah. I'm a new person. And she, she realized that she needed to take that step. Yeah. And so on Easter, she's going to get baptized. So amazing. So amazing to hear the testimony of what God's done in her life. And I'm so proud of her for her commitment to Christ. And, you know, it's not, baptism isn't a purge of perfection. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make us perfect. What it does is it, you know, it's accepting his death, Jesus' death, and his burial and resurrection. So when you go down into the water, you're accepting that you're dying to yourself, your selfish ways. The way that you've been doing things is not working. You're ready to live for Christ. And so you're accepting that. And when you go into the water, you're, ex you're accepting that death, but you're also accepting that tomb. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. you come up out of the water, you're proclaiming your resurrection in Christ, your new life. And you're ready to live for Christ now with, with complete commitment not just mind, but with heart. And um, if you have heart obedience to God and you have heart commitment to God, it's going to produce the fruits of righteousness. Right. And we're going to see some really great things I know um, that God is going to do in Brittany's life. And I, I'm really I'm really proud of both of you guys. Um, I know that you aren't perfect and you are flawed, just like all of us are. But I do see God doing some amazing things in y'all's life. So we understand now what it is it is whenever we see Egypt in the Bible and what that looks like. So, but verse 7, it starts the commandments that, that God sent for the Israelites and for us. And I'm only going to read one of them, and we're going to park there. It says in verse 7, you should have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment mm -hmm. that God gave the Israelites, and that's the thing that people trip up over the most. I think that a lot of people struggle because they they don't want to give their whole heart to God. Right. They struggle with their allegiance to this world and with God. And when you do that, you're you're unstable in all your ways because mm -hmm. you're a lukewarm Christian, mm -hmm. and your mind's divided, your heart's divided, and you, you can only serve one master. Right. And the Bible says that very clearly. And so, um, a, a God. People are like, man, well, I don't worship, you know, some some statue or anything like that. But a god isn't just um, uh, isn't just a little wooden statue. It's whatever people use as their driving force in their lives. And a lot of people don't understand that a relationship could be your god. Um, that you could put a relationship with your your wife or or your girlfriend or something higher than your relationship with God, and if you do that, then you've made them a God. 
So some people literally worship other gods by joining cults or false religions. And in more subtle ways, many worship other gods by building their lives around something other than the one true God. And, and if your greatest desire is for popularity, for power, for money, for relationship, or even even a healthy lifestyle, I mean, working out could be your God, um, then you're developing yourself to something other than the one true God. Mm-hmm. And um, you're devoting, I'm sorry, yourself to the more than just the one true God. And so to put God first in our lives, we need to do a lot like what batters do in the batter's box. We need to recognize. Mm-hmm. We need to recognize that pitch just like a batter would. And we need to recognize what it is that's taking place in our life. What is it, dis- what is it that's distracting our devotion from Jesus? So the first thing we need to do is recognize. The second thing that we need to do is renounce. We need to renounce this substitute that we've made for God as an unworthy substitute and unworthy devotion for us to get. Mm-hmm. Just like a batter would say, you know what? The, me turning my head at that pitch is not the right thing to do. We need to, we need to renounce the things that we've made as substitutes in our relationship with God. And then third thing is is we got to repent. A lot of a lot of you understand what forgiveness is, but a lot of people don't understand what the difference between forgiveness and repentance is. Forgiveness of sin is you asking God to forgive you and God he takes that for he take by the grace that is provided through Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, he takes that sin and he puts it as far as the east is from the west. Mm-hmm. But repentance takes one more step. It's asking for forgiveness, yes, but it's also saying that I'm going to turn away from that sin and go the other way. And a lot of people are willing to ask for forgiveness. They, they want some cheap grace, mm-hmm. but they're not willing to um, sacrifice their life to wholehearted repentance and turn away from their sin. They want to keep doing their sin and keep asking for forgiveness. Right. Well, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then the fruits of repentance will be in your life. You'll actually be asking Jesus for forgiveness every time you fall down, and you'll make strides. You'll recognize what it was, you'll renounce it, and you'll make strides to turn away from it. And the way that you make strides to turn away from it is by restructuring your priorities so that, you love, um, so that your love for God is the motive of everything you do. Um, maybe you need to take somebody out of your life. Maybe you need to take something out of your life that is distracting you from your devotion to Christ. And so that restructuring has a lot to do with the turning away and repentance. And then the last thing, Michael, is to review. We need to examine ourselves daily to be sure that we're giving God the first place in our life. We need to look and say, you know what, is there anything that is standing between me and my relationship with Jesus? And if there is, renounce it, repent for it, and turn away from it and and put God first. If you put God first in your life and you have a relationship with his only son, Jesus, then sanctification, that daily process of cleaning you up, will bring you closer and closer to him every day. And as you draw closer to him, you'll want less and less to do with this world. 
And so I'm really excited, Michael, with what God's going to do in the hearts and lives of everybody around us. I'm really excited about the testimony that we have with, with what God's done in Brittany. And I'm just praying right now that we would continue to um, make those strides to do the five R's. Recognize, renounce, repent, restructure, and review. Mm-hmm. Just like a batter sees the ball out of a pitcher's hand, makes the corrections so he can be successful at hitting, we are only going to be successful in our life with Christ if we put those four, five R's into practice daily. Right. And just like baseball, Michael, it sounds like a lot. It sounds cumbersome. It sounds like um, you have to put together a lot at one time to be able to react. But the more you do it, the game slows down. Uh-huh. And you're able to do it more efficiently. And I think that I think that every one of us have the ability to become a Hall of Famer for the kingdom of God. Right. If we can just if we can just recognize, renounce, repent, restructure, and review and do it on a daily basis. I know that God wants to do some great things in and through us. Uh-huh. And with that, we're gonna pray and close it out. So Lord God, I just thank you for everything you're doing through this podcast and through our lives, Lord God. And I just pray that we would be able to do those five R's, Lord God, that we would be able to um, step up to bat and be able to see whatever the devil has for us and that we would be able to recognize, we would be able to just perform for you, Lord God. I just thank you for everything you're doing through us and in us. And I pray for everybody that's listening today that you would be with them. In your name I pray. Amen. And with that, this has been a Pitch Towards Holiness podcast. I'm Mike Kidwell. And I'm Michael Kidwell. We'll see you soon. Bye.